Welcome to the Good Christophian Talks podcast. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help each one of us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post at the start of each week for you to listen with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to hear. And now, let's hear more about this week's talk. This week's class is by a brother, Stan Isbell, uh, from North Houston, Texas. Uh, he's giving this class at the Midwest Bible School in the year 2014. It's titled, With Gladness and Singleness of Heart. Uh, not clear on um, what what uh, part of his series it is. There's only one talk posted on Christophian Bible Talks. Uh, this is a really, really good class. It talks a lot about the early ecclesia in Acts 2 um, and the right attitude we should have in preaching. I really benefited from this. Um, Stan has, does have a very unique style. Uh, says a lot of, um, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I guess not outrageous, but just uh, he just has a really good style. So I, I, I enjoyed it uh, knowing him and, uh, and, and found this class to be really encouraging. He gives a list of uh, how we can preach more effectively uh, kind of in the back half of the class. And then he uses, a, um, he uses an object lesson, you can tell, which from what I gather, I think is two cups of water that he's splashing towards each other, demonstrating how we uh, fail at listening and properly listening. Uh, so this is, a, this is a great class. I'm going to include the reading uh, in the podcast, so you'll hear uh, the reading of Acts chapter 2 before. Um, you, can, you can skip forward in your podcast app if you want to skip that part, um, but I found it helpful to have that read uh, before, he, before Brother Stan begins. So thanks again for listening. Please keep your suggestions coming. We really do live off those, and we thank you uh, for all your support. Let us know if you have any questions at all. In the meantime, here is Stan Isbell with gladness and singleness of heart. Brother Stan has asked us to read the, God, or the Acts of the Apostles, Chapter 2, and Brother Jordan Kennedy from the Paris Avenue Ecclesia will read that for us. Reading from Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And now hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, 
standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that, that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they gladly received his word, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the ecclesia daily such as should be saved. Brothers and sisters, Brother Stan Isbell will be speaking this evening, and his address is entitled, With Gladness and Signalness of Heart. Brother Stan. Thank you very much, Brother Paul, and good evening, brothers and sisters. Let's do better. Good evening, brothers. Ah, good. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that was good. That chapter began the quest of the arrowless bowman upon the white horse. And it is a glorious chapter, as we all attested to. And um, there we are. Okay. Um, the good news is exactly that. It's absolutely, it's indescribable news. The gladness that those disciples had in the beginning, in the first ecclesia, it's just, it, it was never to be repeated. The newness of understanding and seeing the resurrected Christ, of passing the joy on from eyewitnesses who touched and handled him, upon his resurrection. It was, it was just something that couldn't be contained. These men and women just could not contain it, and it spread like viral, we use the word today, all through Jerusalem. And, all, and, and on the day of Pentecost, of course, there were those, from the, those Jews from all parts of the world who heard the gospel in their own tongue. They continued 3,000, 4,000, and on with gladness in verse 46. They, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, singleness of heart. In verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all. Now, you know what kind of attitude that takes to dump your retirement fund or your collection, your money that you depend on for tomorrow and make sure everyone else in the body is fed. Would it work today? No, probably not. It began to fall apart with Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas had given land. Ananias and Sapphira said, oh, Barnabas was probably praised for his gift. Maybe we can do the same. And from there, the, the virgin bride of Christ was impregnated. 
and by the end of the gestation period, Constantine was rising. First love and unity in the Ecclesia, Acts 4 and 4. We read, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of, the, of men was about 5,000. In verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake the word of God with boldness. It's a repeat of the day of Pentecost. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They really believed. There can be no doubt. They believed it to the point to where they were able to overcome their inner fears of insecurity for tomorrow. They were able to apply the commandments of Christ. Take no thought for tomorrow, for sufficient is the evil of the day thereof. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were, that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. And having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They were joined together in a common hope Facing a common enemy, the ecclesia is now strengthened in faith. They rejoice in the atmosphere of true unity and reveal their feelings by wholeheartedly assisting the practical needs of others. They sought those needs out. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no, more, no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world. To himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, which is the righteous works of God. It's energy. It's not just an abstract concept or an idea. It's an energetic doing, just as we see in the first century ecclesia. If you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24 in your Bibles, I'd like, to read with, I'd like you to read with me in verse 11 and 12. I guess we could back up to 10. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. But 11 and 12 deserves focus. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? 
And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? What's he saying, brothers and sisters? If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if we hesitate, if we hesitate to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and they're all around us, they're everywhere. You don't have to go very far to find somebody that's being drawn to death. And if we say some excuse, behold, I didn't know that they were dead men walking. I didn't understand that they didn't have the truth. Doth not he that ponder the heart, pondereth the heart, consider that? Sure he will. He, he, he looks upon us. We, we need to learn how to profess these things, this, this glorious gospel. Out of Elpis Israel, page 159, 160, Dr. Thomas says, the church was associated with the apostles in the ministry of reconciliation. And he says, by the church, I mean not that multiform thing called the church by the world in these times, but that one undivided body of disciples. Keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. It's the singleness of heart we're after. It's the true unity. Collected together by the personal labors of the apostles and evangelists and all through subsequent generations who should believe and practice the same truth. It's a power. It's an intellectual power that affects the psyche of every human being that grasps it. He goes on to say, that to this one body energized by the one spirit and perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment and styled the bride is committed the work of making known the manifold wisdom of God as contained in the word and of inviting the world to be reconciled to God. No member, he goes on to say, of this body is exempt from the obligation of cooperating in this work. It is the duty and privilege of everyone in his own sphere to endeavor to turn men to righteousness, for there is no distinction of clergy and laity. Isn't that one of the best quotes you've ever read in your whole life? I mean, it's just... It just breathes with commitment, personal, ecclesially, fraternally. It breathes with commitment of the one body, and we wonder, why aren't we more unified? Why don't we have unity? And I'm not here to condemn you. I am here to encourage you. Because the first time I ever brought one young man through the first principles after watching Brother Howard, 
go through the plan and the principles with others that I would bring to him the first time that we had the baptismal hymns, the water and the blood and the readings. And that young man who told me the first time I met him, I'm a Catholic, I'll never be anything else. And he went down in the waters. My heart just absolutely nearly burst out of my chest with excitement. I thought, oh my goodness. Because I think I was able to comprehend what I wasn't able to comprehend when I was younger and baptized. I could see the process from the beginning to the birth. And it was so exciting, I told myself, I've got to go out and do this again. This, this was just fabulous. So as clumsy and awkward and failing after failure after failure, we proceeded with much prayer for help because we knew we were incapable of doing this. But it became a personal ministry. And like I say, there were so many failures. And brothers and sisters, I'm here tonight because most of my talks just almost go to this place. It's just like a, a gravitation to helping. I've had so many people come to me over the past two days asking, well, I, I'd like to be able to talk the truth to people, but I just get cold feet. I just don't have answers. I've gotten to a point, brothers and sisters, where I know how to turn people off in the cold contact conversation so that if I get rebellious in my head or I don't want to teach the truth, I know how to run them off. I know how to run them off, and I know what attracts them. It was taught to me. It was not my idea. It was taught to me by Brother Howard Phillips. I want to show you a quick chart that I believe depicts the process of true repentance or changing our assumptions from A to B. Simply, assumption A would be these things that we, th that we grow up with, ideas which have been, we have been indoctrinated with, we have accepted from mom and dad, tradition, the voice of the collective world. They form the basis of our behavior and the problems that come along with that behavior that lead to strained and broken relationships. It's simply the nature of sin in us manifesting itself because we are self-indulgent nature. S-I-N, sin. It's an acronym. It's a self-indulgent nature that we bear, and it's very difficult to control. James tells us about the tongue, and if we could learn to govern the tongue like the helm of a ship or the horse bridle, we'd be much better off in our relationships. But that is not an easy thing to do. And it's not easy to do with strangers to whom we want to express the great news. And we do want, I know, I know you do want to see some success in your preaching efforts on an individual level, as well as ecclesially. So this Assumption A represents these ideas that basically the world has grown up in, and it's a false Christendom. 
Assumption B, we'll call the truth. Those are the simple fundamental principles of the statement of faith that we hold so dear and that has been our foundation as a unified body in, the, in Christ. So what we want to do is get from assumption A to assumption B. So can you just turn off the switch in a person's mind who believes assumption A and so that they will believe assumption B? Just run them through the lessons real quick. Nine months, five years, however how long it takes. Well, no, you, you and I both are not that naive to know that. Assumption A leads to behavior A. It, it, it just, it's automatic. We, our thoughts and ideas will manifest into our behavior. That's why it's so important to keep reading the Word of God meditatively, prayerfully, reflectively, thinking and talking and socializing with our loved ones in Christ so that it's constantly on our mind. But if we're still under assumption A, it leads to behavior A and bad habits. That behavior, as Brother Jim mentioned, character is built over time. Yes, we make mistakes, we sin, but the character is what is going to be brought to the judgment seat. These, this character, based on assumption A and behavior A, you see where this character goes. From bad habits to a dysfunctional person to ultimately getting diseased because a dysfunctioned person who gets high stress levels, can't get along with people, it start, he breaks down from his false assumptions into his behavior, his emotional, and it is a vicious circle. And what happens? He'll have a heart attack. It happens. We know the scriptures confirm these ideas. Life, we reach a life and death. And it's an instinct now, life or death. Well, if we're of the sort of mind that says, ah, who cares? I'm just going to keep drinking myself down, you know, more alcohol, more drugs, whatever that I've been doing in the past that's led me down this road to the pit, to the grave, I'm going to keep doing it. I don't care. And you got people like that all through the world. And they terminate. But, on the other hand, if they reach a life-death instinct and they say, hmm, no, I don't like the prospects of leaving my family behind. I don't like the prospects of dying. I want to live. And it becomes an emotional thing now because they're afraid. Fear kicks in. Well, there's obviously you know, faith because faith comes by the hearing and the hearing by the Word of God. But when the fear of dying kicks in, you know, I thought when I got hepatitis C, I said, oh, I can, I can do this. I can slide right on out of the picture. That's the most selfish thing in the world, isn't it? But that's just my nature. But when you realize and your doctor says, you ever seen anybody die from liver disease? No. It's horrible. Well, then that's when fear kicks in. 
don't want to die of liver disease, want to live. What happens? It becomes an emotional reversal of that process that was leading to the grave. Somebody offers me help, I took it. Some say no, I don't need help, I can do this, I'll get through this. What happens? After the emotional energy wears off, this emotional reversal, it's like, it's like drinking and having a car wreck. I'm never touching this stuff again. Well, after your mind, which causes the memories, the horrific memories of even somebody dying in your car wreck, once those memories fade away, so do the emotional stirrings that caused you to want to reverse. And you might take another little sip or you might get back into a habit that led you into where you were before. So this habitual cycle of returning to where we were because the repentance was based on emotion. The desire to stop going down towards the grave was based on feelings from memories that were vivid as though they were yesterday. But once the memories fade, the desires grow strong for the old man of the flesh. And then, ultimately, enough of those cycles and we end up in the grave. Can we deliver someone from the bondage of death? Of course we can. We read that in the first of, in, in Acts. The ministration of reconciliation has been delivered to us. And we have to show that we really, really believe it and love the truth. So, if it happens again and a person says yes to an offer of help instead of no that led them into the habitual cycle, and their prayer is heard, perhaps, by God, who knows every individual that will respond to him in the face, on the face of the planet. We are here. This is where we come in. This is where God knows our heart, as well as the heart of the individual in the world, wherever they are, he knows how to intersect these two minds. The empty mind, the one emptied of his word, and the full mind, the one that is full of his word and willing to share it. And a mental reversal is in order. But notice what happens. Not only are we here when the offer of help, and that's what we do, we offer to help. Brother Jason gave a wonderful, uh, Bobbis gave a wonderful um, devotion last night. I was very blessed to be able to hear it. He brought out some wonderful ideas to the teens. And those are ideas that I believe we can use ourselves. So I've got it filmed and we'll put it up on Rugby Christadelphian for anybody that might be interested. But I want you to notice angelic ministration occurs when, as we saw the other night, from Daniel's vision, from the day thou settest thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself, I have come for thy words. 
And I believe that angelic ministration occurs, and those angels know full well if we're going to open our mouth. Well, I say full well. If we have a reputation of opening our mouth at the right time, and they can depend on us to tie loose ends, they can go through an incredible, complex, logistical, almost nightmare to you and I to get an individual across our path. And you can almost smell the work of the angels, like we talked about Yolanda the first night. You can almost sense it, as it were. So, Here's where the assumptions have to change through the intellectual process of a simple education in the first principles. Setting up an evening. Would you like to sit down and do the readings? Would you like to sit down and discuss the current events about what's going on in the world today? A simple request, making it easy for them and tell them that you're under no obligations. I just enjoy sharing what I have found about the Bible with others. If they say yes, and they go through changing intellectually on a level of the mind those false assumptions to the truth through the Scripture, and they see the authority of God's Word being the inspired record of His principles, and they're not taking your word for it, they're taking his word for it. And their understanding about sin, nature, and demons, and devil, and Satan, and all of our first principles that we, we hold. And they understand these things, and it takes time, but they start to see a behavior change in them. And Yolanda expressed that many times. Oh, this lady at work. I, if, if I hadn't been studying... Six months ago, I would have taken her head off. And you slowly see a change because behavior stems from the intellectual understanding and comprehension of these things, these wonderful truths of the gospel. Decisions now can be made with the future in mind. Christ coming, preparation for, for, for in their lives. They can make decisions that are more that, that are that are clear to them. And, and it's so important to be able to get out of that fog and that, that enables you to see just about an inch in front of your nose. It's so important to be able to have clarity of time and space when you can look at the world heading into World War III, Armageddon, and, and fear is just simmering inside of you. If you can alleviate that fear in people and, and the fear of death to which they have been held in bondage all their lifetime, you're, you're better than any doctor. You're better than any system of doctors, brothers and sisters. You've got a glorious gift, a skill set of just basic fundamental first principles. But I understand it's not that easy. But you give people hope. You give people happiness. You give people help. Like Connie, our next door neighbor, who was afflicted with uterine cancer, and she's 
walked in the door for Bible class after radiation and chemotherapy. She looked like a zombie. Skinny. Dark eyes. You've been there. You know what that disease does to people. Your loved ones. My loved ones. And, I, and they would leave and I would say, Wendy, she's not going to make it. Observation again. Observing that evidence. Wendy says, we just need to pray for her. And now she's in remission. Of course, she's a sister and baptized. Health comes by God's healing hand, especially to those who are heirs of salvation and the angels have been commissioned and assigned to minister to them and life above all things. Not just normal life, not just natural life for which we prayed for her, but eternal life at Christ's coming in God's kingdom. Six ways to make people like you. Now, you're going to say, ah, oh, wait a minute, hold on. Maybe I don't want people to like me. I like being alone and isolated. I'm sorry, we don't have a choice. Principle one, become genuinely interested in other people. Get outside yourself. I know you are God's gift to humanity. But we have to get outside of ourselves and listen to people and show them through our body language, which will actually speak 80% of what's in your head. The other 20% will come out of your mouth, and they'll hear that too. But the 80%, if they know how to read body language, we're in trouble. Because body language screams that we are not interested in them. It screams with red flags, beacons, and sirens going, whoop, 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 whoop. And they go, <clears throat> you know, I got something I really got to do, a heavy load of scheduling appointments. <laughs> and the puffery comes up, and they're gone. Principle two, smile. It's easy. You know, it takes less muscles, right, than a frown. Walk around. Dour, sour. I've got the good news. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Well, I'd hate to see you with bad news. <laughs> Principle three, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest, most important sound in any language. Repeat their name. First contact, it, you'll, you'll remember their names. The older I get, the worse I get about, what's your name? I bet I've asked almost all of you new people that I've met, what's your name, three times already. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. But a person's name is something that they like, you, like to hear you say. It's simple psychology. It is. Fundamental techniques in handling people. Principle one, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. In their presence, go in the closet and shut the door. Then scream out all you want to. Complain, condemn, 
whatever. Criticize, but don't do it in front of people. Principle two, give honest and sincere appreciation. Instead of sitting there with your Bible, like, you know, turn to Romans chapter 12. You there yet? You need to learn to find your books of the Bible. <laughs> I know I'm exaggerating, but our body language can say that. So we need to reverse that and understand that we're going to be screaming out at them, I don't have time for this. i got things to do. That's our own nature. We should say, can I help you find it? I know it's not easy. I have the same trouble. I sometimes wonder where Zephaniah is, you know, or Zedekiah. <laughs> I'm still looking for that book. <laughs> but we need to encourage them. Make them. What you're doing is painting an image in their head they've never had before. You're painting an image of them as a Bible scholar. And you know what they feel? They don't feel like they can even find the first book of the Bible. I met a man one time who, when I said, turn up to Genesis, he said, what's Genesis? And I thought, oh no, he is really deficient. And I probably revealed it through my body language. But people are woefully ignorant. Christendom has just destroyed their, their, their confidence. To, to believe that they in themselves that they can actually understand the Bible. You know that was one of their tricks, Christendom. That's to keep them infantiles. That's to keep the masses in the churches little kids, subject to their whims, the clergy, the stork-like men who own the Word of God because we... Oh, I'm sorry. And then they abuse the kids, you know, sometimes adults. You've got to give honest and sincere appreciation. Principle three is arousing the other person an eager want. You want to make the scriptures pleasing to them, exciting to them. If they need an easier translation than the King James, at first give it to them. Let them read the wonderful stories of creation in David, Samson, and all of these glorious stories where God was engaged with the human race. You want them to want to read their Bible. Make them excited about it. Make it one of the most interesting things you can. Think about how you can do that. And as with children, so with adults. Principle four, be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Principle five, talk in terms of the other person's interest. Initially, Brother Howard, I would watch him, and he would, first time he ever met somebody, he would start talking to them about anything that they were interested in. He said, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a hobby? What do you like to do for fun? He would just show interest in that person. He didn't just jump right into the Bible. How long have you been reading the Bible? You go to church? What's your religion? He didn't do that. 
It's a human interest engagement. And that shows them that you're interested in them, not just selling your product, which is really what it's going to look like at first. That's really what they're going to think. You're trying to convert me. You're trying to convince me. You're trying to sell your product. And maybe we are. And maybe we need to learn how to sell our product, the truth, in the right way that shows that person we are so interested in you and your welfare and your life that I'm willing to give up two or three hours a week so that you can understand the book and you can understand God. So we also want to consider their family, understand them, and so on. Very important principle. Principle number six, make the other person feel important and do it sincerely because they are important. If they're going to take time from you and if God has sent them by the arrangements of the angels, they're important, extremely important. They're the ones that God is sending us to, to, to preach to. Win people to our way of thinking. Principle one, the only way to get to the, the best of an argument is to avoid it. Get off, stay away from controversial subjects. I know it's easy. That's the first thing we want to talk about is we don't believe in the Trinity. We don't believe in Satan. No, we don't believe in going to hell or heaven. What do you believe? Controversial subjects. It's interesting. If our young brethren, single brethren, who some of which are looking for a mate when they come to Bible school, they're like a, a sister, and they approach the sister to woo her in a confident way. But do you suppose that he's going to talk about everything that they disagree on? If they did, we wouldn't have much of a Sunday school left, would we? We would have no future of a Sunday school. Well, think about it. It's the same way. We are wooing a bride for Christ, just like Eliezer, Abraham's servant. Go get a bride for Isaac. I'm not letting my son go there. You bring her here. And he goes and he woos a bride. And that, that whole chapter is a type of Christ's bride. We're doing the same thing. We are Eliezer. We're seeking. So we don't want to get into an argument. And if they say, what do you think about the devil? You know the devil the other day? I guess just see the devil. I, I just feel like Satan's bugging me. You know, we'll get to that. We'll get to that topic. And you want to hear what God says. My, my word is an opinion. I mean, yeah, right. I raised the value of my opinion real high. <laughs> but it's still my opinion. And you don't want my opinion. You want God's word. So could, you, could we defer that question until later? Sometimes they'll bug you to death wanting to know. I want to know. I need to know. And then you give it to them. And you give it to them lightly and you say maybe, well, let's study the nature of man and see where, where that takes us, okay? And you'll be surprised. You can navigate the class. It's like you're in the driver's seat, but you have to do it intellectually, not by the person who's sitting in the passenger seat looking out the window and saying, stop, stop! <laughs> Why? Well, I just saw something up there interesting, and I thought, you know, we could stop and look at it. Oh. <laughs> you scared me to death. 
You drive the car of the class, of the introduction. You drive it, not get into an argument. Don't let them bait you, and they will. They'll bait us with controversial subjects. Principle two, show respect for the other person's opinions. Never say, you're wrong. Oh, I love this one. This is so important. You know, we go into, a, we go into an introduction to, to a stranger, and we go in with this attitude of, I'm right, <clears throat> and everybody together, right. That's exactly how we go in. And you know, we don't have to say it. <laughs> We're already screaming it with body language. So, in order to avoid that, you have to go in and recognize that I'm, I'm thinking that. You know, you know why we think that? Because it's true. In most cases, probably 95, 99% of the time, when you talk to somebody in the world about the Bible, you are right and they are wrong. So why wouldn't we think that way? It's the right thing to think. But how do you keep it disguised? How do you keep it disguised? Knowing we're right. And this affects every kind of meeting we might have with somebody on the other side of a line who believes differently. And it's really interesting because, thank you, Brother Paul, for the glasses. This is us, okay? This is the other person whose beliefs are different from ours. Well, we want to convince them that we have the truth because we're right, they're wrong. And so we, we go to them and we say, well, regarding the devil, I have researched and understood that through Scripture, the devil is really only the flesh. Well, that's not what I read. I read that the devil is really a supernatural fallen angel. I don't think that's exactly right. But yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And what's created a mess. This is us, remember? Empty ourselves. There's something in the Bible about that, about emptying ourselves. And we listen and show respect to the person's beliefs. I know that's hard because it's such a lie. It's such a hideous lie. And I don't even like to listen to lies. But for the salvation of an individual, you're willing to do it. So you say, well, tell me, what is it that you believe about that issue, whether it's the devil or whether it's resurrectional responsibility or whether it's with your spouse? Well, I think this and this and thus and thus. And you say, and you say really? And you make sure your body language is listening 100%. You're not sitting there formulating your thoughts. You're not sitting there wondering, let's see, how am I going to debate that? What's that verse? Oh, where's that verse? I'm trying to all the while they're thinking. You listen. You listen. And then you stop them and say, wait just one minute. I want to be sure that I'm hearing you correctly. I don't want to, I, I don't want, because I hear selectively. My wife tells me that all the time. I hear select, I hear what I want to hear. So tell me, is this what you said? 
and they say, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, nobody's ever listened to me that closely, except my psychiatrist, and he charges me $150 an hour. <laughs> and so they, you say, well, tell me, tell me some more. So they say, okay, well, this is, this is how I think, and this is what I think Scripture says, and this is really where I've always thought so. And you say, okay, hold on, wait a minute, I think I got it, but let me just feed it back to you out loud, audibly, is this what you're saying thus and this about that? And they say, why, yes, that's right. And you know, they start to open up, and what you're doing is hearing their argument and learning it better than they know it themselves. And they go on and they continue and they say, wow, you know, this is how I think the Bible is about the atonement, about Jesus Christ, and such and such. And you are listening. And you're feeding it back to them so they know you're listening. And so you're feeding it back and you're saying, yeah, this and this and that. Is that what you mean? And they say, yeah, and this. And you're saying this. You're building something. You're building a relationship. And they say, thus, this and thus and that, and this, and that, and it. And you say, wow, we've been at it a long time. Is that about everything you believe? And this might take a little process of time. And they say, and you say, you say to them, is there anything else? <laughs> and they say, well, yeah, I wasn't going to say anything about it, but... Uh, <clears throat> That. <gasps> you mean to say all these years it's been just that? And they say, yeah. You mean that's been at the bottom of all of that? Yeah. That right there. And they've opened up to you in a way that they don't open up to normally everybody. And you know that something has connected when you have finally listened to someone and you have heard their beliefs instead of trying to fill them up with yours. Because remember, we set ours over here to the side. And you don't have to worry. Your beliefs aren't going to run off. They're not going to run away. You're not going to forget them. You're not going to compromise your beliefs. They're still here. And then, after they've emptied themselves, you'll be able to fill their life up with the truth. And I think that really, really helps them to know that you are truly, genuinely, sincerely interested in their life and in them as a person. But the battles sometimes start with that, I'm right, you're wrong. I need to check my time. Paul, where are we at? We're getting there. Ooh. Uh, if you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. If, if we're wrong, we have to be big enough to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I, I made a total mistake. I didn't have my scriptures in line. So we consider that. So principle four, begin in a friendly way.
principle five. Get the other person saying yes, yes, be positive, not no. Uh, principle six, let the other person do a great deal of the talking. Uh, let the other person feel that the idea is his or hers instead of just giving them the answer every time. Give them some questions and verses. Say, look this up and see what you think. Come back to me. Let them find it. They buy into it, into the scriptures. Principle eight, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view as we've demonstrated. Principle nine, be sympathetic with the other person's ideas and desires. Appeal to the noble motives of that they can indeed be king priest in the kingdom of God. That's the most noble motive. You have a compassion, you tell them. You have a skill set. God is no wonder we've been brought together. I believe God is really interested in him having you in his kingdom as a king priest, a judge. Take advantage of it. Dramatize our ideas. Throw down a challenge sometimes to them. And you'll know, you'll be able to, to better determine which challenge. So, we lead others to perform with praise, honest appreciation, not insincere, but they'll know that if it's insincere. Call attention to people's mistakes indirectly. Talk about our own mistakes before criticizing the other person. We ask questions instead of giving direct orders. We let the other person save face. Don't embarrass people. It's, it's just the worst thing when we in, criticize and embarrass someone. And, and it's easy to do, even accidentally. And we wouldn't do it on purpose. Nobody in here would. But sometimes we do it. Praise the slightest improvement and praise every improvement. Be hearty in your approbation and lavish in your praise. We give another person a fine reputation to live up to. We use encouragement. We make the fault seem easy to correct. Make the other person happy about doing the thing you suggest. Paul says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. We are planting a seed, almost like a midwife. Paul said he was a father of those who he had begotten through the gospel, like Timothy. And in closing, I've got about four, five slides here that this is what Brother Howard introduced. He, he was a sign painter, an artist, and, and they were his. These are not the ones he did. These are more electronic art. But these graphics, what he showed us on the first chart, first thing he ever pulled out of the bag was his charts. And they were like so. They, he showed us the development of the Bible, how that they were made from the skins of animals. They were cured. They were put into scrolls, 15 to 30-foot rolls written in Hebrew um, and sealed in clay jars. Um, actually, this one came next. They're out of order, the slides, and I apologize. But papyrus, or paper, was developed, and uh, the Greeks wrote the New, the New Testament and just shows some, uh, some of the basic knowledge of the Bible and how the Greek for the word testament, diatheic, a will, Hebrew bereth, a covenant, original Bible, had no chapter or verses. These are simple things that are very simple. We, we already all know them, but it, it grasped their attention. And uh, the third one was the Holy Bible and a few more of the themes and um, the history book, Advice for Good Living, and these uh, various things. And I'll, I'll have these for you if you're interested. Um, and I added a new one that Brother Howard didn't have. What he did have 
was this little piece of microfiche film. Some of you may remember the National Cash Register Company actually printed it out, and it was only about that big. And it was a piece of film that had tiny little dots, and each one of those dots was a page of the Bible, and there were 1,245 pages on that tiny little film. This was, you know, long before they're able to put so much data on, on, on a chip now, but uh, it was interesting, quite interesting. So you show them things that, that the Bible has been preserved, and you build up the credibility of that wonderful book. And then he rolled out a seven-foot 7,000-year plan that was just, to me, at that time, it put a bookend on the end of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in time. And I thought, oh, that's great. You can just prove that to me. And he did. But that plan, when it rolled out, it was so impressive. He rolled it out on the floor of the home we were in first time, and I thought, oh, that's order. That's divine order. And it has to be of a higher in intellect to be able to put together such a glorious plan. So the 7,000-year plan, we've used it ever since. And successfully, I might add, this is just my personal ministry and how it's developed over the years. I haven't been keeping count of the number of baptisms, which is a silly thing to do, of course. But there's been a lot of people baptized because we've employed the methods that you've seen and tonight and it can if it can work for me it can certainly work for you and um, I really appreciate your time tonight and for allowing me to share that with you uh, because I believe that's really what helps an ecclesia get true unity and to serve God with gladness and singleness of heart is reaching out if we don't keep reaching out we start turning inward and biting and devouring each other over little issues that are not worth fighting over. But sometimes they are worth fighting over because it has to do with our foundation. And those, that, that, you know, that foundation is what you're trying to put under somebody else to build. But don't bulldoze their house down. Let them move out into one that you can show them they can build in a beautiful way that's reliable. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. Please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you are listening from to help people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this talk, share it on social media so other people can find it too. For show notes and links to the talk that you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm slash gct. We want to encourage everyone to share their thoughts from the talk this week on Facebook or Instagram, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, or on Twitter, where we are at gct underscore podcast. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media platforms. Thank you for listening. God bless, and talk to you next week.